Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy, executive producer, Cameron McCoy. Cameron, you're giving me the eyebrows. Are my levels too low? No, no, no. I am, I'm just monitoring, just making sure everything is just tip-top. You're great. You know, when you've done this for eight years plus together, like, I can read the look on your face and know if my levels are wrong. So... <laughs> I have a tell. <laughs> yeah. Got to work on that, man. Um, dude, so last week you kind of had a work emergency, so we weren't able to record. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the audience accepts your deepest apologies. They should. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dude, uh, what's been up with you? Like, it feels like everything's been happening in terms of magic. Um, <clears throat> not necessarily in the most positive way. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, we're here to talk about it. We're here for... We, in the words of Dido, we will go down with this ship. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, dude, talk to me, man. Uh, yeah, so it's been kind of a crazy week. Um, I think I'll just start with my arena standard experiences right now. Um, so, dude, I, I wanted so much for this new set to make some like legit changes to uh to standard it's not i feel like it's just as bad as it was because the card the problem cards that were so good last set or lo- last rotation i'm sorry not last rotation but the previous set are just as good if not better now um so i'm playing a mono blue tempo deck and i started with delver in it, so I had like Delver, the Gin, and I, it's the thing that's kind of like Delve, but it, it costs one less for each instant or sorcery spell in your deck. Um, I'm here to tell you, Curtis, that in this standard, a turn one Delver with 30 spells in your deck is not good enough. <laughs> um, oh let me know if you have ever heard of this before. Um, it's my play, turn one. I play turn one Delver. Great, beautiful. Um, opponent plays a, I don't know, a a swamp of some sort, cuts down my Delver. Okay, turn two, I play a land. Turn two for them, Blood Tithe Harvester, into Fable with Mirror Breaker, and away we go. And I I, I finally get a gin on where they are able to invoke to spare me. You know, I mean, like, this is, like, the sort of thing where, like, the card quality of Grixis, Black Red, all those cards are just so incredibly good, like absurdly good why are you playing anything else right now i i mean like i just it's it's bad like i mean like i want to say between esper and grixis i i'm not seeing anything else that's actually worthwhile to be playing um i mean you can win and knock off some tournaments with or you know some matches with like a mono blue or mono black mono white maybe god help you if you're playing mono white but like i just like it's just so stagnant, so the st- the same, and um, I don't know why I'm trying to play anything else right now other than Grixis and Standard. To your point, we're recording this on the 27th. Mm-hmm. The Standard Challenge it was yesterday. The top five decks, not five of the top eight, the top five decks were Grixis. Um, I I. <clears throat> for standard there needs to be bans mm-hmm. like we've just kind of reached that stage where and i think it needs to be a lot like i think it needs to be like four or five cards and yeah hey nobody's playing in paper so what are we really losing here let's rafine i mean really just a bunch of the three drops need to go um but hey i there needs to be a massive change on a lot of levels to get standard somewhere, anywhere, please. Um, but you you have more notes here about standard. <laughs> um, do you want to save this for the news? Yeah, or let's how do you just save t- this for the news, I think. I can talk about one other thing I did, which was Pioneer. Um, just a standard, basic, vanilla Pioneer tournament. And um, turnout wasn't great. It was the, um, you know, the holiday week, so sometimes I does affect yeah, certain things yeah. so i'm not gonna like lean too heavily into it pioneer is great um everybody should be playing pioneer please please play pioneer please 
uh, Wizards support this with maybe some tournaments of some sort. Uh, like it's like a legit great non-rotating format that just doesn't feel like sullied the way that like modern does. Um, it doesn't make me just have pangs of sadness with legacy and like that entire thing. It's just like it's a fine format that like um, you know it, it's like your peanut butter and jelly. Just it's com- it's comfort food, man. Um, so. I, I like this kind of leads into other things, but like there is a, a shining beacon of hope that is Pioneer, and I think like it could be the thing to really help magic right now. Um, here in the next year or two, um, I just I just don't feel like it's getting the proper support and love that it needs. You're saying Pioneer could be the the spark that lights the fire here, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, man, I, I want to look forward to something. And by the way, uh, I mean, I still have Phoenix. I would have to, I think I have to buy Ledger Shredders because most of the decks have moved mm, yeah. to yeah. four Ledger Shredders in that deck. And I, I mean, I would need to do that. But, you know, it's not like those are in short supply. So I, Pioneer, I think, is, you know, a reasonable format to get involved with. I know there was some uh, complaining about mono green, but like I gotta be honest with you, if I'm a Phoenix player, I'll play against mono green. Yeah. Till the cows come home, I'm fine with that. So I think there's balance there. Um, I nearly pulled the trigger. Uh, one of the Black Friday deals was the Lotus Field pre-con deck for twenty bucks. Yeah. Um, but again, we're gonna talk about this in the new segment. I literally don't know what my outlet is to play Paper Magic. So any investment in the physical paper card is kind of an unreasonable thing for me at this stage of the game, which mm-hmm. is a very sad thing to see. say. Also, you mentioned Legacy. I don't know if you know this. Like our, our buddy Pat, uh, Pat Uglo, yeah, they finished their show, Leaving a Legacy, this last week, episode 400. So um, in case you're keeping track at home, we beat them by like 60-some. Just just saying, just 60-some <laughs> more episodes. Um but congratulations to those guys and i mean really sticking with the format and doing legacy opens up in the northeast and making me super jealous that i don't live there but not making me super jealous that i have to keep up with whatever commander cards are coming out um (laughs) but i do want to mention this like we're about to talk a lot about kind of the news and i do want to make it a thing that hey what's the solution rather than just like being uh, grievance media, which I know sometimes you could listen to us and think, oh, you know, these are just a couple old dudes shouting at clouds, mm-hmm. not really providing solutions. But I do want to just say this. I've drafted Brothers War like three or four times. <clears throat> and I don't think it's as good as Dominaria United, which is to say not excellent, but it's a pretty good draft format. And mm-hmm. that's been a real bugaboo for artifact sets um, from Kaladesh, Scars of Mirrodin, like uh, the original Mirrodin, these are sets that are not easy to design. And I think with the prototype mechanic, <clears throat> you know, they have this weird tribal soldiers thing kind of out of nowhere, but I feel like you do have the flexibility to go big in that format. And I've really enjoyed the draft format. Mm-hmm. Again, not amazing. It's not the previous draft format, which again, I almost thought, uh, on Black Friday, there were Drom- Dominaria United Booster draft boxes. I was like, man, I should just closet one of those. And yeah. the next time Cameron and I hang out, we could we could do a, like a, a sealed. Um, but I do think it's really getting lost in the shuffle how decent of a limited set this is. Like a 7 or 8 out of 10, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's been my primary interaction uh, with Magic this week. And... Really feels like that's going to be my primary interaction with Magic going forward until Standard gets fixed. It has been really difficult as somebody that primarily interacted with Magic as a Standard and Modern player for like, you know, eight years. And genuinely having no place to play those things physically. And I I want to jump into the news now because I think there's a lot of layers to kind of what's going on. Um, But... There are concerns about both the economy and the health of the competitive game. I've said anecdotally, the two shops near me only offer Commander. Um, you mentioned that there was a 
very poorly attended RCQ. Can you talk yeah, about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was an RCQ last week. Uh, it was like uh, mid-November, I guess, like the 19th. Um, I didn't make it. I, for, I honestly didn't even see it advertised like on my Facebook page from my shop, you know, which was a bummer. Um, not that I would have the the paper cards, but normally I'm at least aware of it. Uh, <laughs> apparently nobody else was aware of it as well because, like, as I was telling you, in the past with, like, a PTQ or an RPTQ or whatever the, the f- tournament um, <laughs> name is, there'd be, like, 50 to 70 people who would show up to a standard tournament um, and have a great time. And it'd be a full day of just great competitive magic. Uh, there were 12 people at this RCQ. And I mean, there could be a lot of different factors for that, but I will say like, I think the contributing, the main contributing factor to this is that, um, standard A sucks (laughs) and B like, there's just like, like even the support and like the obvious, I don't know, avenue for like that competitive play just doesn't seem to be as, um, (laughs) easy to follow as it was, you know, even five years ago. Yeah, I would say we're also forgetting like something like the Star City Games tournament series, how much that also benefited because that felt like, you know, the AAA yeah. to the where the Pro Tour was the Pro Tour and there was obviously some overlap there. But even in moments in the past when it was confusing and you and I had no real des- like I never had any designs on being at a pro tour it was always kind of like a hey if this happens to me cool i i always tell people that i was an fnm level player right like i i had a winning record at most of the gps that i went to but i was never a just like you know travel all over the country that level but it was so fun to go to these things and that layer seems to have evaporated to a level at which i can't tell you what an rcq gets you to cameron Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm sure I'm sure there's a map somewhere, but the MPL thing really damaged the organized play brand. But I think there's multiple layers to kind of what's going on here. Yeah. Um, both in terms of competitive play and the economy of Magic that we kind of want to broadly cover. And I I know it's easy to get doom and gloom here, but there are avenues by which wizards could correct this. And so I do want to outline that too. Um. Because the game is really special. <laughs> like, this is the thing that, you know, a lot of people are hearing this this kind of complaining and just saying, ah, you know, they just grouse because it's, we really do care. We do, really do want magic to be healthy. Like, no one would be happier than me if they got this fixed, okay? Um, but first, I want to talk about it in terms of just the overall, like, product thing. You could call it product fatigue, and we mentioned that last week, mm-hmm. right? But this misnomer that, oh, well, if you don't care about it, don't pay attention to it. Well, here's the problem. I don't, I have to look to know that it's something that I don't care about. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And just in the past 2.5 months, Unfinity, Warhammer Commander decks, Brothers War, Brothers War Commander decks, Brothers War Jumpstart, and Jumpstart 2022. That is October to December. And... I mean, just being real with you, Cameron, I don't know how a legacy player does this. I don't know how a commander player does this. Because theoretically, all these things are for those folks, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as a result, when a card comes up on Twitter or Facebook that's a new spoiled card, you and I have zero interaction. When's the last time I messaged you about a spoiler? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's been a while, man. Yeah. So they've they've really oversaturated on that level. There's a there's a financial product fatigue, but there's also a mental fatigue that I don't think they're necessarily locking into. And we'll talk about how this relates to flesh and blood here in a minute. But just the purchasing, I went to my LGS to buy some product yesterday. And even in just saying, should I buy some Dominaria United stuff? Because I really like that set. There are three different booster boxes, right? So what's the exact booster box that I would need to engage with that product later on? Like, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of mental... What I'm trying to get to is there's a ton of mental gymnastics now where it used to be, just get me a box of the newest set for Christmas, right? Yeah. 
And there is something to, you know, we talked about Rolex or Apple in their glory days, like simplifying and unifying your product. So it's a simple experience for me as a consumer to engage in. Mm -hmm. Right. But I'll tell you, because I went and did my kind of like annual culling, basically going back through all my draft chaff and finding the cards that are weirdly worth something because of commander. And I sold to a local shop. Uh, buy listed to a local shop had about five hundred dollars worth of store credit, and the intention was to buy Ragavans. I was just like going to give in. They had them. I was going to get Ragavans and Merktide Regents, and be done. Mercia's Bobbles I had sold when they were up, and now they were back down because they were released in the new set. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could get them for like a dollar on the old border, which we can all agree is a great thing. And I couldn't bring myself to pull the trigger, Cameron, because there was nowhere to play modern so i know there's the stereotype that standards dead and modern lives i hear that a lot online but again near me there's not a ton of modern now when i went to buy list this stuff there was a big commander thing going on so commander's doing just fine and Mm -hmm. i don't think that's a problem um but it's just like what this this like overall collapse of the competitive world is having on the values and I think there's a lot of players like me that are checking out and also thinning out what their collection is. And you said you've talked to some people that are doing this as well, right? Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, once again, a lot of people, like modern players, one legacy player, like, I mean, selling a lot of their collection here in Des Moines, which is startling because these are like, you know, I mean, lifetimers. Like, these are people who've been playing, you know, since they were 14, 15 years old. Um, and, yeah, to be liquidating, like you know, the stuff that you could literally just build any deck you wanted and you're just getting rid of it now because, I don't know, getting burnt out. Like, I mean, (laughs) all the same things that we've been kind of like echoing, I think, for the last year. Um, This isn't new, right? Like, there's a lot of people out here who are feeling that way. So it's it's alarming, I guess. Is Magic 30 also... I I don't know how much direct interaction you've had with these people or you've just seen them post online Mm -hmm. sales. Is Magic 30 part of this as well, do you think, with some I, of the reserve list cards? I need to talk to those people um, because, yeah, this is all just like Facebook and just seeing like what people are posting on the various pages that I have. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if like that just kind of sealed the deal in some cases or if like what's actually contributing to that. It's harder to come up with a bigger misstep than Magic 30 in all of this too because – while ultimately it doesn't matter in terms of the interaction competitive players have with the game, I can't actually think of a single thing any brand has ever done. I mean, we're talking Sega Saturn level stuff. <laughs> like, and shout out to the Sega Saturn. I love that thing. But just a catastrophic on a PR front. Mm-hmm. There is no way that they're actually, this is a good ROI thing that they've done, right? And I don't know if you followed this whole controversy, but do you know they've been giving it to the the product to like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! YouTubers to open <laughs> as opposed to Magic YouTubers? So the Magic YouTubers are upset. And then like this Yu-Gi-Oh! guy who seems like a really, you know, uh, <laughs> good dude opened it, saw like a million negative comments and then took the video down, but you can go and see his apology video <laughs> that wow. says, hey, I didn't know what this was. I just, you know, opened this product thinking it was a cool, like, retro thing. And, I mean, the whole thing just screams. I know we could, like, belabor Magic 30 a lot, and we have. Yeah. yeah. But just, this is the littlest thing that bugs me about it. And this is how I know I've reached the emotional level where I just need to check out on it. Is, you know, we're talking about a $1,000 product, right? Yeah. I watched the box, the guy, the guy open it, and of course the the card values aren't even close. Um, it's a cardboard box, and you open this thousand dollar product <laughs> by like tearing it like you do the box to box of Cliff Bars or Pop Tarts, like it's a terrible cardboard opening. That's awful. <laughs> like that, that makes me more incensed than like. <laughs> I know it was like the little packaging guys. Thing. Yeah. You can't even like put some nice packaging on it. Like, and I will be the first guy to admit, I love when I buy a new watch, that box, 
the box is part of the experience. I know it's frivolous and dumb yeah. and yeah. it never goes back in, but I want a I want a box. You're right? Yeah. I want to yeah. feel that vibe and just like a thousand dollars and you can't even be bothered to put like some hard plastic. on. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I mean, like you buy a brand new Samsung phone or an Apple phone or whatever. Right. And it just comes in like this pristine box and it almost lifts oh, yeah. out like, come on guys, thousand dollars, four cards. You couldn't just invest a little bit <laughs> into the packaging. Yeah. 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 Oh. So anyway, so that's wrapped up in this too. And I think there's an eternal format reserve list level player that is like, uh, what? And they're pretty upset too, because they see the writing on the wall that like, if this is successful and I don't know that it will be, we could be staring down the barrel of, Oh, Hey, they're reprinting legends or they're, reprinting, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a loss of confidence at that level too. And if you know that there are, <coughs> excuse me, commander players out there that really will go after your underground seas, and you probably bought them for 20 bucks in 1998, like Sia Underground Sea, right? Like that's, no. a, that's part of the problem. Um, so here's, here's what I think needs to happen. All right. So also just values in general going down. Like, and I, I saw this, I'm, I'm going to talk about selling some of these cards a little bit more later on. But one thing that really stuck out to me when I was selling is like a lot of times there are rares that are like in this three to $5 range that are usually one to five years old, right? Mm -hmm. Think of Containment Priest, a very playable card across many formats, right? And so many of those cards, the value has tanked because when you type it in, it's been printed a ton. And you didn't even realize it because it's in a secret layer. It's in a, um, it's on the list, which do you know what the list is, Cameron? No. So the list is when you open a set booster or a collector's booster, there are cards that are not in that set that can be in the packs. Okay. Yeah. So Splinter Twin, for example, might be on, quote, the list. You open a Brothers War collector's booster, you'll, you could open a Splinter Twin. Okay. So a ton of these cards have seen printings like this. Mm-hmm. And so all these things that I'm used to getting a little bit more value out of, right? Like just, oh, hey, this thing's, you know, makes tokens. It's a seven-man enchantment. Commander players just go hog wild for that stuff. Yeah. 50 cents, right? Like almost everything that I sold that was more than $3 was like a land. Um, but almost <laughs> everything else was like way tanked compared to what I expected it to be. So I made less than I normally do. Mm -hmm. And that not may not sound like it matters that much. To most people like boohoo curtis you didn't make a bunch of money off your draft chaff but that level of card that three to twenty dollar card is the real backbone of a lot of people's collections not yeah you know underground seas or whatever and that's how they build value and that's how they trade into new decks and when you've tanked those things so when that uh bank of america article came out people were like oh he, they don't understand that uh, you know collections don't work like this, and they seem to be tying the value of people's collections to the value of Watsy's stuff. And those things do matter. Yeah. Like if if you have overprinted to the degree at which a lot of those rares are sub one dollar, that has people losing confidence. And like it or not, the magic economy is purely based on your confidence in the value of the cards, right? Um. <laughs> So, like, I, I had this moment, Cameron, when I was going to buy um, these Ragavans and I backed out. I looked down and there was, they have a whole case at this shop. It's a great shop in KC called Spanky's. They have a great case and it's a bunch of secret layers. And as you know, my favorite modern deck of all time is Storm, right? Mm -hmm. There is a version of Pyretic Ritual that I had never seen before in this case from a secret layer. And it irritated me so, like, on such a bizarre level. Like, this is the deck I know in and out. I know all the variations of all these cards, and I had no idea that this card existed. That was the breaking point for me. Because in, in the past, Curtis, three years ago, would have bought that play set of Pyretic Rituals mm -hmm. with the alternative art. No questions asked. And it was just like, I, I kind of, it feels like we've talked about this before, like the 1993 comic book bubble. So anyway, solution-wise. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things we need to establish. Watsy needs to correct confidence in the economy, and Watsy needs to correct confidence in competitive play. 
Yeah. Right? Competitive for sure. Yeah. Step one. Standard or Pioneer State Championship, U.S. National Championship. Do it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying 17 clicks into your website. And again, this is my reality. I, 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 don't, yeah. I think it would be kind of dishonest for me to say, hey, this is what they should do in Europe or Asia. Like, I'll let somebody else speak to that. But for U.S. standard, Missouri, Iowa, state championship, run by a T.O., big money prizes, a, a very expensive exclusive promo also as a, the prize. So let's say full art, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Actually make it a play set. Sure. Right? Something like that. Or make the prize a pack of Magic 30. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, you, you're probably going to have some laying around. Uh, <laughs> but you need to have a feeder system that matters, that makes people want to, like, actually, I know there's a lot of talk about coverage and all those things, but to get coverage, you have to have big enough events. Nobody wants to cover a 12-person RCQ. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But you need a very clear hey, this is how you get there. I understand you guys don't want to do GPs, but this, like, you need to go to DreamHack and you got to go through an RCQ to get to a dream. Stop. Run your own stinking events. Get back to Magic's actual roots. For real, a structure that's a pyramid that everybody can get to and somebody can say, I am the U.S. national champion. Yeah. Period. Okay? Secondly, get some gangster. I don't want promo packs anymore for friday night magic it needs to be mythic rares that see play in modern commander or legacy like actual aspirational promos yeah lastly you need to be printing starter decks for standard that are really good really really good because this price of uh, look we could look it up right now grixis is four hundred dollars Esper, $400. Mono Black, $430. Yep. Why would you ever do that? These prices have got to come down. And to do that, you're going to have to do targeted reprints. I don't need a million different packs. Uh, and personally, get rid of this stupid three-pack thing. I don't know. I, I think it is abysmal. And it makes me not want to buy sealed product ever or tell anyone to buy sealed product. So just, just to put this out here, Cameron, mono, so Pioneer, to your point, being the better investment, mono green, $460. Seriously? Gosh. Yeah. Is it Phoenix? $390. Mono white humans, $200. Azorius Control, which has traditionally been the expensive deck, $500. Yep. So... Honestly, if you are out there and you're thinking I should buy a deck, maybe Pioneer is going to be obviously check with what's actually played at your local game store. But like standard is just when standards, a hundred to two hundred dollars a deck and there's an actual competitive structure. Suddenly we're talking. Yeah. Um, give, give me your thoughts, Cameron. Where, where are you at on all this? I, I, I will echo a lot of what you're saying. Like, I mean, like, as far as, like, some of those solutions for, like, how do you get back to what standard should have should be like it was in, like, maybe 2015, um, there's a lot of that. I, 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 I really do feel like Wizards took for granted how important Star City Games was to the overall health, especially in the United States, for for standard, legacy, modern, like all of that. The consistent weekly ability to just turn on Twitch and follow these games and kind of follow certain people and to follow decks as they transition, like that sort of thing, I was able to just latch on to and aspire to. Um, and that doesn't exist anymore. And um, I think Wizards um, really dropped the ball with not supporting something like that. Um, I would love for there to be an alternative to something like Star City again. Um, and I think that's honestly one of the things that needs to happen. I need to see how those decks are actually interacting and operating that's not on Arena. I want to see paper tournaments, and I want to see them on a weekly basis. Like, I think that's really important. 
And you, once I con you into playing Flesh and Blood, you're going to actually learn it that very way, because that's how I've learned it. Mm. And you'd be stunned at how much you've, for, you've missed that. Right? Yeah. And one of my big frustrations with the culture of magic is even, even us has transitioned into talk, not talking about strategy anymore, but talking about it as a collector's product. Mm -hmm. What sets are being released? What secret layers? Like I get so frustrated, like constantly hearing about secret layers and I'm just, I'm just done. I want to know what is the, what, how am I interacting with the product? I'm not about acquisition. I'm about utilizing, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, dude, that that's a great point. And when you watched a Star City event, you are watching a great product in action, yep. right? A great game in action, and that's what Magic is, you know. And to see this kind of occur has been a real like, I don't know. It's it's really it's hard to like convey to like when I talk with my wife. I always feel like kind of ashamed. I'm like, you know, my hobby's kind of falling apart in physical sense. And she's like, No, I get it. I get it. Mm -hmm. She's like. I, her big thing is going to different wineries with her girlfriends, you know, and yeah. like socializing and, you know, shooting the breeze and all that kind of stuff. And she's like, if all of a sudden that was just gone for me and I could never go to those places, I, I totally understand how that would bug me, you know, yeah. bug you, so yeah. bug me, That's you know, a great analog, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, you know, look, <sighs> I like socializing in the context of a competitive event. Like if I, I wish I were a guy that could play old man basketball or something like that, you know, like, um, but whenever we go to some of my daughter's volleyball stuff, there's always like these guys that are like older than 40 playing soccer, like indoor soccer. And they are super competitive. Like you can just feel it, like how much, how hard they're playing, but they're all buddies, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And it's just their way of getting that out of their system. And I was like, this is kind of what I get out of magic, obviously on a mental sense, you yeah, know, I'm not yeah. panting while I'm playing. <laughs> um, well, sometimes you are. <laughs> so, sometimes. Uh, but yeah, that's, and, and like the other thing that goes without saying is there needs to be a kind of a culture shift with how Watsi is interacting with their diehard consumers, like a real analysis of that. And I don't know if that just needs to take the form of an article of, hey, we're transitioning how we're handling this and treating you guys, because I get that they're getting bombarded, right? But when you watch the live streams, just the reaction to some of this stuff has been, I think maybe handled in a way that makes it more antagonizing than mm -hmm. it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, if you watch one of their videos where they're opening, like it is just comment after comment after comment complaining or, you know, and I, I get that that can feel like a little bit of a, a, a barrage, but there needs to be an, a, an, an, like an analysis of, Hey, we're printing too much product. This is the feedback that the customers are getting to us, even if it's not maybe in the most kind of ways. And we need to analyze how we're interacting with that customer and how we're speaking to them. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, I mean, like, I know it sounds trite, but if you have like super negative news, you might just want to go radio silent. Right. Yeah. And give, because otherwise it just feels like you're kind of lighting the fire a little bit. Um, and that kind of ties into Cameron. I took this giant thing of store credit that I had and I bought many boxes of flesh and blood. Uh, there were many good de deals on this. Now, just to give you an idea of what this means for me locally, every night but Wednesday for me locally in the Kansas City area, there is a flesh and blood thing I can go to. Okay? So for me locally, it has really changed. I understand that that's not everybody's reality, and you might be hearing this and not have a flesh and blood local scene. Um, but... I, I bought a bunch of boxes. I've been opening and sorting and building decks and really engaging with the game a lot. And there are some there's some concerns here. This is not a this is not a advertisement. Okay. But I do think if you are a person that has missed paper magic at the competitive level, you really, really, really need to be thinking about this and checking in on what your local scene is like. Because first of all, the scene in my experience has been filled with nothing but old magic grinders <laughs> that really want more people to be joining them. And the physical nature of the game has reinvigorated some of my things that I, I wouldn't say that I like loved about magic, but I didn't realize I missed. Like I mentioned this before, physical trade binders, people needing to trade cards to acquire decks. 
um, people willing to loan cards or to explain to you or to welcome you or to get to know people's names and stories. All these things that have been pulled out of magic for me and I've just been engaging with arena, you know, so much Mm -hmm. um, I've gotten out of flesh and blood. Um, So I bought a bunch of boxes. I guess, Cameron, give me your questions. Let's just do an ask me anything Mm -hmm. about this. Um, Where are you at at this? Where's your local scene on this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you told me anecdotally you've heard some people are starting it or something. Yeah, right? yeah. There's quite a few. Like, I mean, the, the comic shop up north. And, I mean, like, Flesh and Blood's definitely becoming a thing, right? Or has become a thing. Like, that's no question about it. Um, I'm still completely in the dark. Like, I know I, I've watched a couple, like, YouTube videos. But I, as far as, like the competitive scene, like what a box entails, all of that. My, I guess my big question to you is like the price of a box and like what are you able to get out of the box in order to create a competitive deck? Okay, so a couple things here. So there is a commander-like thing to Flesh and Blood where every deck is centered around a hero. And whenever you play as that hero, you have essentially in the middle of the game, you have like seven cards face up. So this is your armor, chest, legs, arms, hood, the hero themselves and their weapon. Okay. Then you have your 60 plus card deck. Okay. So that's like the, I think the one thing that is very EDH about it is like, and your hero could be a ranger. So then you can only play the equivalent of colorless cards or ranger cards. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And there are characters that are multiple classes. So you could have somebody that is an ice guardian. So they can play guardian cards and ice cards. Okay. Um, When you buy a box, because there's a limited experience with some of these sets, not all of them, uh, you get a very strong idea or a very capable, I would say 70% of a deck of that hero. So let's say the newest set is Dynasty. And I believe there are three plus heroes, right? that you can play as in dynasty limited. Okay. The heroes themselves are like tokens in magic. So you'll have a copy of the hero period. Okay. And I built every deck of the newest set, like 70% of their deck is there right now. I'm missing some rares. I'm missing some of the more expensive stuff, but you can get an idea because each hero plays like almost like a different card game. So you can learn that hero and go, oh, I'm going to finish the last 30% of this deck, right? Mm-hmm. But the base level of these decks, even if you buy, like, singles, you can buy, you 30 bucks gets you a ton of the way there on most of these characters, right? But, again, we're just talking about cost. If you want the actual World Championship deck, like the deck that won the World Championship last whatever month, last week, it's $800, and flesh and blood does not have a traditional rotation system. So when you spend that $800, those cards are going to be legal. Now, will, will it be good in the meta is a different question. Mm-hmm. But the way they handle rotation is once a character wins so many championships, it auto-rotates out and goes to living legend status. But there can be other characters that you can play with those decks. So the cards themselves. So let's say um, Briar is an elemental uh, runeblade hero. Well, she rotates out. Well, there's other Runeblade heroes. Yeah, so you can still yeah. play the main deck cards. So there's this whole level of the comfort you get out of Legacy or EDH of, yes, a copy of Enlightened Strike is 50 bucks, and that's an expensive card that almost every hero plays. But guess what? Once you have your three copies, you're done. And by the way, there are three copies of so every deck instead of four in um, Flesh and Blood. So... There is that. Now, there are some expensive equipment cards, the cards that I talked about that are face-up in the mid-game, and those tend to be the ones that, when you really want to get your deck nice, are very expensive. And um, But again, you can actually put them in a hard case. They are never shuffled into your deck, so they stay very minty fresh, so your investment, I think, is pretty strong. Um, but here's the th- problem getting to opening a box, is those really expensive pieces of equipment are one per four boxes. Yeah. So you want to buy those as singles, which, by the way, is not that far off of a mythic in Magic the Gathering, right? Like, we're not talking... People talk about this stuff like it's super egregious. You can only have one copy in, in Flesh and Blood. I, like I said, I cracked six boxes. I opened two legendaries, okay? 
So that's pretty much a little bit like I got lucky. Mm -hmm. um, you could also, I could have opened zero. So the boxes, the EV is not great. I bought a bunch of boxes to build my collection. I did get very fortunate and I opened some expensive cards. So that's cool. Um, but they're not all of the same class, right? So I kind of have to do some trading around to get to where I need to be. Um, the other thing I would point out is they have allowed there to be a fully online, like I said, it looks like old Magic Online, like old Magic Online. It's called Talishar. And you can download any deck. All the cards are free available to you. And I just play against the AI opponent to learn how the decks work. Mm. And so you don't even have to play against another live person. And this is how I learned the rules of the game. Um, the game itself plays a lot different than Magic. So that's the thing that you... I've struggled with as somebody that's got magic very hardwired in is the game itself plays a lot different. However, the archetypes are the same. There's control, there's aggro, there's, you know, mid range, et cetera. So I, I just can't overstate this enough. If you are the person that really misses elements of the paper scene and magic, do check it out. Just check it out. Mm -hmm. and the the format that you might want to check out yourself cameron is called blitz that is the faster format where the decks are uh for it's a, like a 40 card constructed deck okay and the i went to a blitz tournament that one night and all my matches i did four matches in an hour and a half right and then i got to shoot the breeze watch people open the new set mm -hmm. so the games themselves in blitz are as the name would indicate very quick and you only need two copies of every card and you can learn the rules very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, I've just been really impressed with it. And I, I can't stop building decks. I've also, I mean, look, just to in increase the bromance even more, Cameron, I've I built a deck and I thought, this is the deck that Cameron needs to play. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so like the analog of the Tesserator deck. Oh, sure. I put yeah. together and I was oh, like, my. oh no, this is it. <laughs> Somewhere Cameron's heart is a... Uh... Skipping a uh, beat. So, but the, the last thing I'll mention about this is these they have released like whatever six sets. So you could literally go buy the equivalent of beta for flesh and blood, right? Like it's still out there, it still exists. You know, you it's still the ground floor in a very major way. But all the sets have such personality. Like I don't know anything about the lore, but it has a feel that I feel like has left magic. Hmm. Um, that Transformers you know, I, aren't doing it for you, huh? Yeah, whenever we have a Transformer and a Fortnite card and all that, where this is a consistent fantasy world, and I opened a card called Regicide, and it is like this assassin standing over this dead emperor. I know nothing about this lore, but I was like, that is sweet, <laughs> right? <laughs> that is sweet. And, and so, like, just getting that kind of fantasy nerd thing back and kind of taking ownership of that again is great. And, like, I'll tell you right now, Tales of Aria is a set that has terrible EV. Like, a box is uh, theoretically worth, like, 30 bucks, 40 bucks. You can get them for 50, 60 bucks if you look around on the unlimited uh, print run. Easily my favorite set. Hmm. I love it. I think, it's, I think it's super cool to open. And... Uh, so I would I would recommend you know figuring out a deck you like and maybe just getting the the starter deck for twelve bucks and then putting singles into it. That's probably a more cost effective way. Mm -hmm. but Cameron, you and I both know opening packs is fun. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Learned that the hard so. way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and like that joy is kind of out of magic for me. So I'm sorry I'm rambling. I think this game is is quickly taking over a lot of my psychological space, which is good. Um, but yeah, dude. Uh, I hearty recommend just go to a blitz thing once with one of your yeah. some of the guys that you yeah. know from legacy and just see I think you'll like it a lot it's dangerous right? yeah but can I but here's the flip side of that dude like I can't tell you honestly to invest in paper magic right now no no if you buy brothers war what are the odds that any of those cards are going to be worth anything <sighs> maybe in commander <laughs> <laughs> like yeah yeah just no guarantee yeah okay so i've rambled on long enough dude let's get out of this segment come back and talk about what else we've been up to all right cameron so first i want to start off with nope because i have not seen any of these films i haven't seen get out oh wow okay i haven't seen nope i haven't seen any of his twilight zone so 
uh, I just need to do that sometime, and I haven't gotten to it. Like, what did you think of Nope? Yeah, so Nope, directed by Jordan Peele, who was of Key and Peele. Uh, yeah, I can't remember when Get Out came out. Uh, five years ago, maybe? Uh, great, great film, you know, addressing <laughs> lots of things, um, mainly dealing with, like, race and just identity and that sort of thing. Um, and Nope is weird, uh, same director has the uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, he was in Black Panther. He's like, he's a great actor. Um, he's in this. He's the main character. His uh, and it. I mean, there's nothing really to spoil other than like there is a UFO that floats over his family's horse ranch, um, and the movie like on its surface it's like okay it's just like a guy and his sister dealing with an extraterrestrial vehicle flying over but then they're like like get out the the all the subtext all the nuance all this stuff that it's like kind of addressing as far as like hollywood tmz like, i mean it goes into some really weird things as far as like i'm not i, I still don't even know how to process it all but it's like it's obtuse enough that it's like reading a really good novel of just bunch of metaphor and allegory and you have to really dive deep into it to f to get something back out of it um so if you just watch it on its surface it's like yeah this is bad <laughs> but once you like start going into like some of the metaphors and like what he's trying to think address um man it's a rewarding a rewarding watch so um definitely watch get out um I'm trying to remember the other one didn't really strike for me. Uh, this one I, I enjoyed, and um, like I said, you can you can get a lot out of it if you put something into it. I'll put it on my list of one day I'll get to it. Sure, yeah. Uh, so Andor was good. I would say that. Like, <sighs> yeah, man. I, I I will tell you this. I got very upset in the last episode. This is not really a spoiler, but there's a moment where a droid gets kicked over. And uh, Cameron, I was ready to go right then yeah. and there. Yeah, that's, like, that's what started the rebellion. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't do that to my guy. You know what mm. I mean? Like maybe the most adorable droid ever, and you're gonna do that to him. Literally starts the rebellion. So yeah. Um, I just need to say with a with Andor, um, I'm sure this stuff will start peeking up online. Check out the behind the scenes footage like little documentary featurettes that they're going to be releasing i started to watch a few and dude the production design on that like i mean when you compare it to like the star wars prequels where it's just a blue screen and nothing feels real um the 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 amount of real stuff that they put into this i mean it's obvious when you watch it but like I have just like a whole new appreciation for something like this over even like what they're doing with the volume and like this amazing technology, but it still just feels a little removed. And um, man, some of the behind the scenes stuff, like how they pulled off some of those scenes, the sets, all that. It's like old school 1970s Star Wars. It's great. Yeah, man, I... Uh... The costume design I also thought was spectacular. Mm, um, yeah. Can we say that? But over and above that, the layering to the writing uh, was just really... I, we talked about it last time, but just like there were so many like seeding of different themes throughout that you've just like that. That kind of writing just doesn't occur in other like yeah. even the Marvel stuff, which I think had some moments of good writing, right? Um this is just consistently like I, I, I saw this tweet online. I think it's so true. You could say, man, I love that speech. And the response would be, which one? <laughs> yeah. Right. Because <laughs> there's so many just strong, thoughtful things. Uh, and down to uh, even the reading of this manifesto in like a form of an audiobook, <laughs> I found like really affecting and really strongly written, you know. Um, but yeah, dude, I do want to also mention revisiting i've probably mentioned this somewhere along the line but i've only watched banner brothers twice but i'm watching it the third time with my daughter oh and um what a what a master class of a show that was mm -hmm. um and 
something that's really worth revisiting if you haven't seen it in a while. Like there are rough elements, like in terms of, uh, you know, the use of CG for some of the things that they did, right? And how many people are just like these incredible actors that have not become anyone yet <laughs> in the show? Like Michael Fassbender is in there as, as just like an extra, you know? Crazy. And yeah. uh, I'm trying to think, the guy who played Professor Xavier after P- Patrick Stewart, he's oh, in yeah. it for like yeah. five five whole minutes and then he gets Back blown away you know like yeah 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 like just constantly just a who's who of guys that eventually became really well-known actors right so um anyway if you haven't revisited that in a while i just think there's some really great individual episodes and some really great script beats and um you know it's really thoughtful and and i think a show like that now would get super self-indulgent sure and maybe sure. like flinch a little bit away from kind of the psychological things that these guys have to deal with um, but they did like a nice job with that where it's like the Pacific. I don't know if you ever watched the Pacific later on. I feel like was maybe a little too far in the psychological realm of and understandably so. But it was just like so bleak. It was like it, it made the bleak moments not even matter because mm-hmm. it was just too much. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway, Cameron, if someone would like to uh, tell you their ranking of uh different world war ii media where could they find you that's all on twitter at cameron underscore mccoy and i'm at curtis now our official show feed is at spike beat mtg we will check you guys next week